from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. And welcome to everyone tuning in to the lightning round episode of the Badass Counseling Show from Dunkirk to Duluth, from New Brunswick to Kauai, Pasadena to Arlington, VA, and even Big Cormorant Lake. We welcome you here to the Badass Counseling Show. I am joined in studio by KC over in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me. Rob, Yo. how you doing, man? I'm good. May I suggest an approach for you, Sven? Maybe you should try the direct approach. Oh, really? And by that, what do you mean, Rob? Well, I was trying to be um, uh, ironic about yes, it. Yes, you that's, were. That's being, your speciality. You were being ironical. The act of being uh, saying something ironic is to be ironical. And you were indeed being ironical. It was an ironic thing you said there, young man. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, is Carly the cat, the studio cat nearby? She's taking a nap in the other room. Carly, the studio cat, keeping an eye on us. So it's good to have you all here. Uh, I've got viewers here on Facebook. I've got viewers down here on Instagram, viewers up here on TikTok. We've got everyone. I am taking your questions. And so we're going to jump right in. Uh, Sarah asked the question, what do you recommend to break cycles of rage and regret? Um, to be very, very honest, breaking cycles of anything, it can be a challenge, but it's totally doable and it does not have to take forever. And what that means, it's just like uh, breaking the holding on to an ex-lover. It's just like any of those. You have to allow yourself to go into that rage. You have to go into the regret. So for instance, in your journaling, it's writing down, what do I regret most? Well, why do I regret that? Well, what is it? Let's just say, I'm gonna make one up. Regret that I uh, broke up with that lover. Well, why am I regretting that today? What's really going on inside of me? Well, I'm feeling alone. Let's just say, well, I'm feeling alone. Well, why am I feeling alone so much today? Because it really sucks. And I just feel like I'm never gonna find love again. And I regret having left him. And then I would ask myself the question in my journey, well, do I really regret it? Well, sometimes I do. And so now I'm breaking it down, breaking it down. And how does, how does it, how do I feel today versus yesterday regarding the regret? over you know ending that relationship or how, what is it about today's rage that is different from the rage I was feeling a month ago well it's more intense today let's just say I'm making it up as I go but you're tapping into your feelings and you're flushing that shit out the only way you help break cycles of anything is to go into the cycle and to experience it and to flush out exactly what you're experiencing all right next question why does my kids hyperactivity make me so mad I would actually need to ask you a couple of follow-up questions on that, Brian. However, I'm gonna spitball it from here, at least a piece of it. When someone gets so mad over something, it's either because they are being hurt or it's because, you know, because anger, mad is just an anger, uh, is a response generally to pain. Someone has caused me pain in the past, someone is causing me pain in the future, or I perceive someone might be causing me, I fear, anticipate someone caused me pain in the future. So past, present, future. Or it's because you've got so much your own shit inside of you that your default is mad. I just get mad. Fuck, I, I just cock off. I just get pissed. Um, you know, and so I have clients who, as they begin to work through their shit, they're less sad. Or maybe they say, you know, I'm just not as angry as much anymore, Sven. Because they've begun to flush out their own stuff that has nothing to do with the situation at hand. So in your case, Brian, it would be all the stuff that has nothing to do with your kid's hyperactivity. You said, why does my kid's hyperactivity make you so mad? It could be that you just have so much shit inside of you that really anything pisses you off. Or, and or it could be woven into, and if we, you and I were sitting having a couple of beers or just you know eating a hot dog or you know whatever, walking in the zoo, talking, I'd ask you, do you feel like your kid's hyperactivity and constant energy somehow takes away energy from you or somehow takes away attention from you? Or is there something you lose by your child's hyperactivity is it could it be that you lose peace when i was growing up uh we lived in the parsonage my dad was the pastor and we was right across the street from the church and uh he was lutheran pastor pretty normal you know whatever wasn't all you know crazy and shit just normal world war ii veteran not veteran but tried to sneak into world war ii when he was 17 but he didn't get in um anyway but the world war ii generation and anyway in our parsonage modest home six kids there was a transistor radio in the kitchen mom always played the radio and then later was not a transistor it was the whatever kind 
And uh, mom would have NPR on, Minnesota Public Radio, and it would always play classical music, members supported, you know, all that. And there, But she, I recall times when the news would come on or whatever program would come on, and the, it would be a talking show, and mom would say, Sven, can you please turn that off? Or she'd turn it off herself. And I can remember her saying more than once, I've had enough people talking at me today. And it was an indicator of, for mom, noise. Mom's favorite activity was to be out in her gardens at 5.30 in the morning before the sun was even up, weeding her gardens. And now if you have six kids, you can imagine a woman with six kids, that's exactly where she's happiest, right? Peace, peace, calm. And she thought it was the joy. And my mom loved having her hands in the soil. So when her uh, arthritis became so bad in her later years that she had to give up her small garden plot, that that was a hard thing to let go of the hands in the soil, but what that represented, the hands in the soil was also a metaphor for peace, for connecting to self, connecting to earth. But noise bugged the shit out of my mom and she had eight kids, six kids, probably felt like eight most of the time. So what I'm getting at here, Brian, is why does my kid's hyperactivity make me so mad? It could be that you're mad at your child because it's disrupting your peace. Or it could be you're just mad, at, you get mad because like I said, you have so much crap in your love cup that you need to get out. But if it is you're mad at the child because you feel the child is taking something from you or putting something into your life that you don't want, then you need to address your own feelings. And the mere fact that you, Brian, a guy, are on listening to my fucking show says that you're not the guy that's just normal tough guy and fuck feelings and whatever. You wouldn't be listening to my shit unless you like acknowledge the significance of feelings and the power of them. And perhaps even the necessity for healing and, and working on my own shit. Brian, you have an opportunity to become a better parent, become more at peace inside your own self by looking at in your own journaling work or with your therapist or even talking it out with your spouse or taking time, writing a letter to your child that you don't send and doing that repeatedly. But you need to flush out all your feelings of anger and upset and like something's being taken from you, whatever those feelings are, or past feelings attached to past situations, perhaps back as far back as childhood and flush out all the stuff inside of you because then you'll be able to be more present to your child. But more importantly, you'll be able to sustain your peace amid the storms. And so it's to quote the just iconic, greatest solo rock artist of all time, fellow Minnesotan, Bob Dylan, come in she said i'll give you shelter from the storm your own soul is calling to you come in i'll give you shelter from the storm but you have to flush out all the crap in there that is the storm the storm is inside but you have to go in and flush it out rob do you want to say something i, I feel you itching to talk no okay <laughs> sorry I, I i got the wrong vibe all right man shelter from the storm one of my favorites it's great yeah i know I know, Casey is over there nodding her head too. I know she loves that song. All right. Okay, this is a great follow-up to that. Another person asks, I'm mad because my peace disrupted. What do if I can't remove the thing disrupting your peace? My follow-up question is, can you remove yourself from the thing disrupting your peace? And if you cannot, then you have no choice but to do that inner work, to go inside and look at all the shit inside of you that is being triggered because this disruptor outside of you is triggering shit inside of you. So you have to go inside and that's the difference. That's when people say, well, you know, I got triggers and so on and so forth. This guy triggers me or boy, when I'm in this situation, I get triggered. And so I'm gonna avoid those types of situations or I'm gonna avoid that person. And avoiding triggers is nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't change the fact that you still have something inside of you that is being triggered. That's the issue, people. It's like, you know, you can you can uh, walk around with like seven sticks of dynamite inside of you and make it your business to just avoid people who have lighters, but it doesn't change the fact that you still have seven sticks of dynamite inside you. It doesn't change the fact that you're a fucking ticking time bomb, man. And you're not always gonna be able to avoid every trigger and you're gonna spend your fucking life living in fear. <gasps> Fear of anybody with a lighter or a match. Fear, fear. I got to stay away from anything that'll trigger me. That's no fucking way to live. You want to be fucking miserable? Do that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't cut out of your life things that trigger you at least until you get the triggers, the things being triggered out of you. That's the real goal. And that includes someone disrupting your peace. You got to go inside and get all the shit out of you. Go into that love cup and empty it, people. All right, here we go. So somebody simply asks, uh, how do you start doing the inner work? And you guys heard me say it a million times, use this, 
Use every question here, write it down uh, as a prompt for your own journaling life, right? Or in your therapy with your therapist. I believe I had to get myself out of a 12-year suicidal depression. I couldn't find a therapist who would help me. Uh, you know, I had some, but it didn't move me along, right? And so I read everything from psychology to spirituality, from theology to new age to philosophy. I read roughly a thousand books and I was just stealing ideas here and there, stealing exercises, thoughts, and I was weaving my own shit together and I pulled myself out of it using my own shit, making, creating my own methods and finding things that work for me. And that's what the badass counseling method is. And that's what I've been using on other people for 30 years. So I know this shit works, right? So that's the purpose of these uh, these uh, lives. That's the purpose of the podcast, The Badass Counseling Show. That's the purpose of my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. That's the purpose of the 800 videos I have on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, fucking Twitter, whatever, YouTube, all of them. Use those as prompts. Start flushing out that which is in you till eventually the love cup ain't got no pain in there anymore, baby. All right, here we go. What can I do with my feelings with a pathological liar my 84-year-old mother that I've been pitting up with for 65 years. Okay, uh, I don't know what pitting up with means. Rob, any thoughts on that? I think putting up with. Uh, thank you, God, of course. What can I do with my feeling? <laughs> if you think about the keyboard, right? I and you are right next to each other. It makes total sense, right? Although if, well, I was gonna be clever, but I won't. Let's get to the question. You what, and I are next to each other. We are, but no one ever confuses us. Because you got the Hardly. looks. Oh, right, yeah. And the brains. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. What can I do with my feelings with a, uh, regarding my pathological liar mother who's 84 years old that I've been putting up with for 65 years? What can you do? What can I do with my feelings? You can start going into them. You can start admitting the fact that you are keeping someone in your life that you, are, that you call putting up with. You've chosen to keep someone in your life for 65 years who at best you are putting up with. The question becomes why? What is the fear inside of you if you were to stop putting up with? So we're not even looking at your feelings yet. I'm just looking at what the hell is really going on inside of you that you're this pathological liar. I did a post on this, put up a post on social this week where it's like you're holding on to someone's collar while they're punching you in the face. It's like, wow, they keep punching me. When are they gonna change? How do I make them change? Why don't you just fucking let go of the collar? I can't do that. It's a mom. Honor your father and mother. I can't. It's my parents. I can't. No, no. There's either some fear in there. The reason we keep people in our life that hurt us is because you either want something that you're not getting or you fear something if you let go and walk away. So to the person asking this question, you know, what, what do I do with my feelings? You go deeper into them to find out what the hell is really going on. What do you really fear? Do you fear your mom's wrath if you were to walk away? Or what is it about, or you fear going into your feelings because of all the pain of all the shit your mother has done to you. You're 65 years old. You've been putting up for 65 years. There's a lot of fucking pain in there. Or are you still, if you were to really go deep, what is it you're still wanting? You still want something, don't you? Want her approval? Want that relationship so that you could finally get that motherly love? Well, what would that feel like? Well, it would make me feel wanted. It would make me feel appreciated. I'd finally feel loved. Exactly. So you are allowing this behavior, thinking that she's hoping, even if it's a 5% hope, hoping that she will change because then I can finally get myself, my needs met. Then I can finally feel whole. Then I can finally have my life back. You're waiting for something from her, even though you have a 65-year pattern of behavior indicating you ain't going to get it. All right, next question. Oh, this is, I love this question. This is from a guy. Listen to this question, you guys. This is just, it's a beautiful question. Have not been single most of my adult life. In other words, in, been in relationships most of your adult life. How do I get over the fear of approaching women? The same way we get over this or the same way, you know, the last person addresses the stuff regarding the mother, the pathological liar mother, the same way as you go into it. And let's ask simply, what are you most afraid of? And isn't the answer, the fear is that they won't like me, that they'll reject me, they'll say no, right? Isn't that really probably what it is? And then does that, what feelings get compounded inside of you that I'm not wanted, that I'm not wantable, that I'm no good? I would be curious to know what the feelings are inside of you when you get rejected, because clearly that's what you're fearing, right? If you have a fear of approaching women, Fear you won't know what to say or fear you'll get tongue-tied or fear you'll say the wrong thing or fear. And then what would happen if you got tongue-tied or said the wrong thing? They would reject you. They wouldn't want you. So isn't the ultimate fear here that fear that you will not be liked, right? 
But the real fear is what comes after that. If you are rejected, if you're not liked, how does that feel? That's the fucking question. That's what you're afraid of. And I'm willing to bet what happens inside of you is you feel no good. You feel worthless. Or as tapes start running in your head, those old tapes, see, I suck. See, I'm unwantable. See, I'm not big enough. I'm not small enough. I'm not, I'm too this. I'm not enough that, right? You start beating the hell out of yourself. Though That's what you fear. The feelings as well as those old messages, those old beliefs that have always been there, which is why I'm always telling you guys, you gotta go into those feelings. You gotta go into those past beliefs. You gotta go into that shit because that's the shit that's tearing you up from inside and that's the shit that you're running from. So in this case, it would be very easy to avoid approaching women so that I don't have to experience the, so that I don't have to experience the potential rejection, so that I don't experience the feelings of sadness, anger, self-loathing, and so that I don't have to experience all those tapes running in your head that have been there the entire time. All those beliefs that you were taught about yourself, that you're no good, that you're unwanted, that you're unwantable, that the real you doesn't matter. That's the shit you're avoiding. And so you want to know how I hacked it? Here's super pro hack number one regarding approaching women. You want to know what I did? I stopped approaching women because I had the same anxiety, truly. I'm a 55-year-old guy, right? I've been in a relationship now for nine and a half years. And really up until my mid to late 30s, I was terrified of approaching women. I grew up in a family of boys. <laughs> and I grew up insecure. You know, I was getting hectored and shit beat out of me by my older siblings and... <laughs> And uh, anyway, I just, I don't know, I, you know, I, and I dated growing up, you know, I asked my first girlfriend out when I was like 12, Missy, she was cute and happy and funny. We dated for a year and then the next girl, and then the next girl, and the next girl had some long-term relationships, Catherine and you know, whatever. And, uh, but it was always scary for me, really, truly. And so many women will say, and I, th I, this is like my little dig here. So many women will say, oh, why doesn't he grow a pair and ask me out? To which I respond, Really? Do you know that most guys have been asking a girl out or asking them to go steady or go with them or whatever the phrase are nowadays, you want to hang out, whatever. Back in my day, we'd say, you want to go with me. And that means go steady, which is what they'd say back in Rob's day, right? Right. Okay. And so most women say, well, why won't, you know, why doesn't he grow a pair and ask me out? To which I respond, listen, if you've been asking girls out since you were 12 or 13, and for every yes that you got, you probably got eight or 12 no's. Even the best looking guys that I knew, they got nose now and then. Bet a dog like me is just like, fuck, you know, brute, not real bright. You know, I get fucking 15 nose for every yes. You, it disincentivizes wanting to quote unquote grow a pair when you get older. You get enough nose, it's like, you know, no, I don't want to buy your Watkins brush man shit or I don't want to buy your whatever. No, you hear no enough. And for a kid, at least this sensitive little twit, it's like you stop asking, it's like, fuck it, not worth it. But you still want the girl. You still want to approach the woman. And it wasn't until my 30s that I realized I'm forcing it. If I have anxiety around something, I do it. So I journal about my anxiety, what am I feeling? Da, 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 da. And sure, I want that woman. But what if I had the power to let that woman who looks really nice and she has a nice smile, and I wonder what she's like. I'd like to approach her and talk to her and maybe get to know her. What if I had the power to let that go? Oh, now it's like some Buddha shit, right? It's like, what if I could let it go? Wouldn't that be real power? What if rather than forcing myself to go through the anxiety, and this, I hope you guys see cross applications of this, right? Across other platforms, career, relationships, family, that when we're forcing it, to push through all the anxiety, you're forcing it. What if I already just let it go? And trust, trust. When it's right, it'll happen effortlessly. Do you believe in effortlessness? I'm fucking serious now. Do you believe in effortlessness? I do. I do. I exert effort, but only when I'm inspired. At my gym, most months out of the year, it's a very popular gym, a lot of young dudes, I am in many lifts, the strongest guy in the gym. Don't do steroids, never have, never touched them. But I'm the strongest guy in my gym. Yet I only work out about once a week. And I, and I skipped it this week. I said, fuck it, I don't want to go on Tuesday. I was dog tired. My son was in town from Raleigh and you know we had a great time. I was just dog tired Tuesday morning. I'm like, fuck it, pushed it to Wednesday. I only work out when I'm inspired. And I'm one of the strongest guys in the gym. It's an example of effortlessness. 
I just reached a point where it's like, fuck it. I don't want to feel that fucking anxiety. I hate that shit. So I just do things that are effortless and that I want to do. And that does that mean, so for instance, uh, Rob and, and Casey and me doing this podcast, every single time I come in to the podcast booth, do I feel like being in the podcast booth today? You know, in studio today, not every moment. I'm not excited every moment, but I'm inspired for this grand project that we're building of helping people. I'm inspired by the letters you guys send. I'm inspired by the great questions you guys have. I'm inspired by the tangle, getting into that crossword puzzle that is your life or your problem. That inspires me. So I only do that which I'm inspired. So it relates to this. It relates to asking women out. I've had young guys ask me, Sven, you know, how do you approach a beautiful woman? And I say, I say, you let it go. Just let it go. Who gives a shit? Because you know what? It'll happen effortlessly. When it's right, it'll happen effortlessly. It could be that same woman three years from now. You bump into her or, or it's more likely going to be someone different. You let it go. If it feels good to walk up and it's actually pleasant to walk up and say hello, then walk up and say hello. But if it's some storm and drong, some uh, fuck you, ah, fuck it. Begin to live effortlessly. Begin to act on inspiration, not fear and anxiety, which means letting go of, in your case, you said, what do I do? I, I have fear over approaching women. Let it go, which means being willing to not have a relationship, which means you better have done your inner shit to be okay being alone. And all those voices inside you that go, Rawr! that rise up when you're alone, you got to tackle those, do your inner work. And the more we do that, the more we begin to attract things effortlessly. It's not even fucking law of attraction. It's not even that. It's just fucking getting the shit out of your life. And when the shit is out of your life, you just live happier. And who do we want to be around? We love being around people who are happy, who are at peace, who are on fire, who have passion. They, they just naturally attract people. Why they burn clean energy, man? All right. Now, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back with more Badass Counseling Show. I counseled with Badass Counseling for about four months, and Sven completely turned my life around. He kicked my butt. No shit. He made me do homework too, but I was so ready for a change that I just did it all. I'm telling you, he changed my life. Thank you so much, Badass Counseling. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the Badass. And we are back with another lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. We're tackling all sorts of clever questions today. I've got viewers viewing me because I'm on live stream of Facebook right here. I've got TikTok right there. And I have Instagram down here. And we're taking all sorts of questions. We're sort of running with it. Come on now. All right. Someone says, can you please swear less? I'm not saying to completely. This is, and then it stops there. I'm not saying to completely, but just swear less. I could, but God, that takes the f***ing fun out of it for me. Um, but sometimes I try. I think at times Rob wishes I would. I don't know. Um, but uh, God, I'm having fun. All right. And I hope you guys are too. And I'm hoping that it's helping. Uh, Rob, you want to weigh in on the swearing? The direct approach. It works. All right. And that's how he started the day. That I need to be more direct. He was being ironical. Um, so we're still getting a giggle out of that one. And to which, oh, we got a fight brewing here. So over on Facebook saying, could you please swear less? And I've got uh, in capital letters, mind you, swear more, LOL. All right, I will swear and LOL. And Babs McGee says, swearing is sentence enhancers. We got a fight going on here, people. Now, here's what we got. Back to work, fine humans. All right, glad to see you guys are getting a laugh out of that one. Here we go. But I do, see, just for the record, I do, some people say, you don't, you swear in all your posts, it's disgusting, I can't listen to you. Okay, I'm not the guy for you. There's so many good therapists putting out good shit on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube. Go listen to their shit, man. I just speak to a different people, people like me, whatever. Like someone said, Brina says, you're triggered by swear words? Wow. <laughs> okay. But I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, hey, I don't fit for everybody, right? Just like other therapists don't fit for people, you know, whatever. Rob? You're premium cable, not basic cable. Hey, I like that. I like that. But I cost less, so it's like free premium cable. Here we go. Address bullies at work. How to deal. This is from Kel Johnston. Address bullies at work. How to deal. Directly. And with clear boundaries and playing it straight, play it above board. And what I recommend is you go to the person and you put it up for, you want to know the best way to sort of take the temperature of a person, 
to discern what it is you're dealing with, you go to the person and you firmly, in this case, it's bullying. It can be in love. It can be regarding family, anything. But you put your truth out there and say, it doesn't feel good when you do X, Y, and Z, and I'm asking you to please stop. And then, and you don't even have to have a threat with it. I'm asking you to please stop. Then you want to know how you sort of take their temperature, get a feel for who they really are. Watch how they respond. They are either going to give some derivative of, what are you talking about? I don't do that. Or, oh, lighten up. Or I'm just kidding. In other words, they'll try to deflect, dodge, deny, defend. Or, and, and the response is, thank you. You just showed me who you are. You don't have to say that out loud, but in your head, it's like, okay, I now I'm dealing with someone who is not going to accept their own culpability. Who's not going to be a responsible fucking person in a relationship. Though if you're calling him a bully at work, you've probably already ascertained that. But in that situation, if the person responds with some derivative of, you know what, you're right. You're right. And I'm going to try to stop. And I apologize. I apologize. And I'm going to take efforts to stop. Then, thank you. You've just shown me who you are. Somebody who gives a shit. Somebody who takes responsibility in life. But I'm guessing you've already ascertained that. But I still recommend, if you haven't already, going to the person and say, this needs to stop, please stop. And then if they do it again, you have to take steps. You have to be willing to report it to the boss, report it to HR. You have to. Because if you don't stand up to a bully or just get out of the situation entirely, you are perpetuating the behavior. Fact. Am I blaming you for the behavior? No, but you're allowing it. And so my question to you would be, what is it you most fear taking action, if you were to take action to stop it by going to a boss or by going to, uh, or maybe you are the boss being bullied by an employee. What is it you fear in standing up to the bully or exercising the levers that are generally often in place in companies to nip this shit in the bud? What is it that causes you to hesitate? What do you fear happening? I fear what people will think. I fear of the backlash from the bully. I fear, I fear. Then you're acting out of fear and you're going to perpetuate this behavior. You have to no longer be afraid. You have to boldly enforce your boundaries. That goes for any fucking relationship. Next question. Do you take ownership? Um, are you referring to me? I try to, try to. You know, it was, it was interesting. One of my parents once said to me, um, Sven, of all the kids, I love each of my kids for different reasons. And one of the things, and some of your other siblings have this as well, but one of the things I like about you, Sven, is that you're, you apologize freely and change your action. You apologize freely. And that felt good coming from a parent. And I strive to own it. I strive to, don't always succeed. Sometimes I'm really afraid to own it, afraid of getting kicked in the teeth if I do. But I strive to take ownership. Why? Because why the fuck would I want that crap inside of me, that naughty, crappy feeling? I, I would like to repair the relationships. But even if I can't really repair the relationships, I feel a sense of personal obligation to another person to take away any pain that I've caused them, to take any rocks that I have put in that burlap sack on their back of pain that I have put there, I want those back because you shouldn't have to carry around pain that I have created. And it's not always easy and it's tough. And sometimes you're still gonna get kicked in the teeth or sometimes you know justice will be served. But I mean, to me personally, this is just Sven and I'm not selling this for anyone else. To me, those are the men I respect most. Those are the women, those are the non-binaries that I respect most, the people who own their shit. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, what, what the hell is this? Personal question after personal question. Here, I, I'm just gonna nail this because it's so odd. Which kid do you love the most? <laughs> so I have two kids, right? They're adults. They're 31 and 28. This year, they're going to be 30. This month, one of them will be 29. And then next month or whatever, it'll be 32. Uh, which one do I love the most? Oh, I'm going to tell you exactly which one. But first, let me tell you why I hate the other one so much. <laughs> let me tell you what my, my mother, uh, who died at the age of 93 a few years back, what she used to say when one of us kids would ask that or when someone would ask her that, as far as I know, she'd say it to other people, but this is what she told our kids, us kids. She would always say, I love each of my kids 100%. She didn't play favorites. She was very deliberate. Dad didn't play favorites. You know, each of us had our hunches. I had one sibling say, oh, you were mom's favorite. I've always felt that another one of my siblings was mom's favorite. But I, my parents went out of their way to not play favorites. But they also, in our house, it wasn't, oh, if it's, you know, Kent's birthday, everybody gets a present. No, it's Kent's fucking birthday. Let's give Kent attention on his birthday. Which, by the way, Kent, happy birthday, June 1st. Um, you're, oh, you're late on that. Yeah, one. I am late on that one. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, the point is, and, and so that's why when I give a gift, if I'm giving it to a family, let's say, if I buy a gift for one kid on their birthday, I don't feel the obligation to give a gift and the other kid, it's like, this is your fucking birthday. No, you get, it can be your day. We don't all need a fucking, 
you know, trophy on somebody else's birthday. Um, when, I, I would say I love you all, but I love you all differently. I love that. I love that. Love you all differently and for different reasons. I mean, I can tell you, one of the things I love about my daughter is this just insane creativity brilliantly creative and what she can do with her hands working wood or especially baking and she she and I sort of have a shared commonality and I had a tiny little help in helping her get into cooking and you know taught her how to fry an egg back when she was little and so forth but she's done it all on her own and she's a brilliant baker and and she creates this and she sews and she but she also has this incredible career extremely successful at 28 uh, and I, I love that. I love that creativity and that passion to express her soul. I love that. Um, plus, she's got a smile the size of the Grand Canyon. Um, and my son, he, he's the funniest fucker ever. I love him to death. Um, but he's grit. He's grit, man. In, in My daughter is too. But he's in sales, in athletics uh, sales, and works for a major uh, university in the U.S., uh, in the athletic, in sports and sales. And he does what I can't do. I can't sell. Picking up, putting down the phone and leading a sales team. He's the head, he's the, you know, heads of team of salespeople. And it's like, I respect my kids for so much, but which one do I love most? Fuck, neither. I, 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 <laughs> um, anyway, let's uh, get to something that has nothing to do with me. All right. Oh, this is beautiful. I love this. I was the family peacekeeper. When I stopped, they're all mad for speaking my mind. Now what? Yeah, um, anytime you change, there's gonna be pushback. Why? Anytime you have the courage to be, say, do, and become on the outside who you really are on the inside, you're going to lose people. And I'm not just talking about family. I'm talking about lovers. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about people you've known forever, people you thought would be with you ever. It could be siblings. That if you become something other than what you've always been, if you have the courage to become your authentic self, to express on the outside who you really are on the inside, you're going first, you're gonna lose people. Maybe some you thought would be with you forever. And that's what keeps people, a lot of people from changing is that fear of losing people. People who are married to the idea of who you've always been, okay? And that's what keeps a lot of people, well, fuck that shit. I don't wanna endure the criticism. See, the biggest fear in life isn't the fear of the unknown. Not fear of death, no, it's the fear of the known. It's the fear of the known that if I were to express who I really am, I know exactly what my brother will say. I know exactly what my ex-wife will tell my kids. I know exactly what my old man will say. That's why people don't wanna change. They fear that criticism. They fear all those people in the past that want to keep you as you have been or all the people in your present, right? So the first thing is you start to lose people. Second is you start to effortlessly, effortlessly attract people people who love who you're becoming. People who say, God, if you went back to being that person you told me you used to be, I wouldn't be the least bit interested. I love who you're becoming. Hell, I love that you have the courage to become without even fully knowing what you're becoming. The more you become authentic, you, you, we just attract people. People love people who burn clean energy. And the third thing is that, and this is the shit where I get people looking at me sideways like, you're a fucking idiot, what is that? And I say, shit starts to fall out of the sky. The more you have the courage to be authentic, Shit starts falling out of the sky. And I'm not talking bad shit. I'm talking cool shit. Uh, when I had my office in Midtown Manhattan uh, for years, I had an appointment. Uh, I had a client. I had worked with her. I think it was our second session. And she leaves and I give her a hug and whatever. And she leaves, goes down the elevator. And I go back into my office and I get a call. And it's her. She says, Sven, you're not going to believe what just happened. I said, what? She said, I got a call in the elevator. I said, I don't believe it. I never get service in that elevator. She said, shut the fuck up. Listen to this. While I was in the elevator, I got a call from this guy in Brooklyn who I didn't even know. I'd never heard of his company. He wants to bring in my company and it is exactly a great fit. We just, you know, he's, he's it's giving me his pitch while I was waiting for the elevator and in the elevator and so forth. And I didn't even know this opportunity existed. This is potentially going to be huge. She didn't even see it coming. The more you have the courage to become authentic, to get out of you all that is not you, and to grow and to become yourself, shit falls out of the sky in areas where you ain't even looking. And I'm not just talking about career or love. It can be anything. And so sort of back to it. I was the family peacekeeper. When I stopped, they are all mad for speaking my mind. Now what? You have the courage to continue to become who you really are. You have the courage to let go of people who want you to be who you used to be, who don't want you to be who you're becoming. You let go of, or you attempt to create a new relationship based on who you are, based on your authentic self, you either let go of them or create new relationships, but you keep moving moving forward. You welcome into your life people who embrace who you are becoming and you just wait and keep doing that work and you will see shit will fall out of the sky. I fucking guarantee it. it happens all the time. All right, next question. 
Can you talk about your advice on carving David? I use it every day and share it to others. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, Michelangelo, right? The statue of David. And uh, Michelangelo basically said, I'm not creating David. You know, it's the statue of David. It's, is it in the Louvre or where is the statue of David? Uh, Florence, Michel Saint-Croix says David is in Florence, Italy. That is correct. All right, thank you, Michelle. And Rob was just about to confirm. You guys hit it at the same time. When Michelangelo was carving David, he's quoted as saying, and I'm gonna butcher it, but he said, I'm not carving David. I'm simply cutting away that which is not David. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to soul work, you don't have to find you. You simply have to get rid of all that is not you, or at least radically reduce in your life all that is not you. In the Hindi language, there's a word neti, neti, and it's either N-E-T-I or N-E-T-T-I. I guess there are multiple spellings. And neti simply means not this. And I steal this, I'm stealing this directly from Joseph Campbell and who passed away decades ago, my favorite writer of all time, favorite thinker of all time. And the point, like the carving of David, Michelangelo said, I'm just cutting away that which is not David. I'm not creating David. All right, it's the same way in your own soul work. I mean, yes, sure, I'm finding my real self and becoming my, yes, but all you really have to do, and I, you guys have heard, I haven't said it a lot, but here's the real bottom line. If you forget everything I've ever said, <laughs> I won't be offended. Um, uh, there's a lot of dross. If there's any gold at all, there's definitely a lot of draws. There are times in life when we don't know what the path is. All we know is neti, neti, neti. Oh, that neti too. Not this. Oh, not that. Not that. And things inside of you. Not this. This doesn't feel good. Not this. I don't want this in my life. And not this. So when I talk about, I think it's chapter nine of my book, there's a hole in my love cup. I have an exercise in there called diamonds and raw sewage. And that the real task of life, the big mistake people make in life is adding more diamonds, thinking that'll make me happier. More things that give me energy, not just happy, but give me energy. More diamonds, more diamonds, new car, new girlfriend, have a girlfriend or a better job or this or that, or then I'll be happy. But you still have that raw sewage list, all the crap in your life, people, influences, places, jobs, all the crap inside of you, all the messages inside of you that you were taught about yourself. That's the raw sewage. And the way to become happy, you don't even have to address the diamonds list. The diamonds will effortlessly blossom up the more you have the courage to reduce your raw sewage list, to have the courage to say not this and then extract, excise, cut out that thing from your life, that person, that belief from inside of you. All you ever have to do is cut out of your life that which is not you. That's all you have to do. Now, it's not always easy, but it is pretty fucking simple, generally speaking. It's just having the, and that's why the very linchpin that what's called the Jesus nut in rotocraft, I'll explain that in a second, is courage. You will not become your authentic self if you do not have the courage to cut out of your life that which is not you, period. End of story, done. Just for the record, the Jesus nut, uh, it's sort of a slang term in rotocraft with helicopters. You familiar with this, uh, Rob? I am not. Yeah, and in, in, uh, now they have multiple systems, but in uh, helicopters right up until, and I have a, a nephew, step-nephew who's, who designs, uh, works for whatever designing helicopters and is an engineer, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so they have multiple systems now, but in the old days, basically there was one pin, the Jesus pin or the Jesus nut that basically connected the propeller to the body of the helicopter. There was one pin and it's called the Jesus pin because it's the one pin on where the single point of failure, where if there is failure at this single point, the entire thing shuts down. So this pin is either going to save you <laughs> or send you straight to hell. I have the uh, quote here supposedly attributed to Michelangelo, if you'd like to hear it. Let's move off of Jesus' pin and back on to Michelangelo. Here's what he supposedly said. The sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. Right. Right. And see, that gets back then. I don't know how much you guys read, but there's a great thinker. He was the head of the Jung Institute in Switzerland uh, for many years, and his name is James Hillman. And Hillman, uh, in a few of his books, he talks about, you know, acorns and the idea of growing down and so forth. But the fundamental premise, it's not really anything new. We all sort of know it. But inside of that, that acorn is an oak tree. That acorn is literally the DNA of an oak tree. 
that uh, my uh, my sister is going through my parents' possessions. They both my parents have died in the last couple of years, and going through all the old pictures. And she sent yesterday a photo of me as a little shaver. That little fella Sven, when he was three, and he had a Tommy gun, submachine gun. That was his toy in 1970. Well, no, 73. I would have been five, whatever, six. No, 72. It was. I had a little Tommy gun and went, you pull the trigger and go, and I thought that was the greatest gift, right? 72. That's what you buy your sons in 1972, right? Um, and that and a Daisy Red Rider. Anyway, um, and there's that picture there. And that five-year-old Sven was the Sven sitting in front of you today, was badass counseling, was. The DNA for it all was right there. But here's what happens as we go through life. That acorn cracks open from its shell. So now it has just, in order to send that uh, root down to tap the soil to get water, to get nourishment, and to send a shoot up, it has to crack off that shell. That shell is no longer useful to that plant until it breaks down and becomes nourishment in the soil itself, but it's not part of that oak tree. And as that oak grows down and grows up, Branches come and maybe one gets knocked off by a storm or we prune our branches and that oak is becoming more and more what it is becoming. So the DNA of oak tree is still there, but it is changing as it is carving away. Rob, you have a thought? Yeah, you could say that Tommy gun was the direct approach. Yeah, <laughs> as we continue to riff on this notion of direct approach, right? Sven as El Capone, which is somewhat what I do in my work with my clients. I'm going inside of them and I'm slaying their dragons, right? So, hey, man, the violence of slaying dragons inside the soul is often necessary. Um, and so this notion we are all chipping away, if you have the courage to let go, to cut out of your life that which is not you, you become you. It's not necessarily by going after and doing more things that you want. I'm all for that. But if you're not cutting away that which is not David, if you are not cutting away that which is not your authentic self, if you're not cutting away the Tommy gun or whatever it might be, if you're not carving away, then you're staying stuck as that block of granite that will never come become the majestic David that you are intended to become. Next question, I'm just gonna take one or two more. All right, guys, really great stuff. We're sort of riffing on some deeper stuff today. This is a different sort of vibe on the lightning round today, and I'm kind of digging it. All right, how can I work on my confidence? I know it's probably childhood trauma, but I really struggle with feeling insecure, and I know it's a lot for my husband to constantly reassure me. You're, you don't focus on confidence you, per se, Anytime you're trying to build something up with yourselves, guys, whether it's um, focus or persistence and motivation, or in this case, confidence, you need to ask yourself the opposite question. What's holding me back? What's tearing me down? In other words, rather than building up the confidence, what if we were to destroy something else? And what needs to be destroyed in the case of confidence is always fear. It's always fear and pain. And so the way you work on it, quote unquote, Tiffany, is you begin to ask yourself, what really are my fears? And this is in your self-work, either with your therapist or in your journaling and so forth. What really am I afraid of that causes me to not stand up for myself? And more significantly, yes, it is in your childhood that you were given messages to believe you're no good. Your voice doesn't matter. What you feel isn't welcome here. Those beliefs are what are keeping you silent. Those beliefs are what are causing you to not have faith in yourself, which is, of course, what confidence is. Con with fides, with faith, with strength. You don't have strength. You don't come with strength, right? You come with weakness, with self-doubt, with self-critical, and that comes from voices in your past. And it means going back in and determining who was, my, who was most critical of me growing up. There you go. Who endorsed it? Who allowed me to be treated that way? There you go. Now you talk about, well, okay, well, how did it come out? How was this manifest towards me? You know, you're journaling this stuff out. How was it taught to me? In what ways was it conveyed? How did I feel back then? Now we're getting to some more meat. How did I feel back then? How, what am I feeling right now? Why am I starting to sweat a little bit as I think about with this message I got when I was a kid? Why am I starting to sweat? Oh, wow. There's shit going on inside of me. Stay in it. Keep going into it and keep flushing it out. All right. I just got to tag this before I get the next question. This fine person says, this man has single-handed pulled me out of a dark ass place. That's why we do this free shit. That's why Rob's here. That's why Casey is here. 
That's why we're constantly getting new guests and counseling people on the show and doing these uh, doing these live lightning rounds. This is why with the videos and so forth, exactly for that, my brother. Justin Hill says, this man has single-handed pulled me out of a dark-ass place. Thank you. But more importantly, I'm glad you had the courage to do it. More importantly, I'm not single-handed. I got hands over here on my left. I got hands over here on my right. It's all of us. And uh, But in the end, you had the courage to do the work, and it wasn't us. It was you. Any of you in your healing work, it's you doing the work. Nobody can do it for you. And it's you having the courage to face the ugly shit of life. All right, next question. I'm a 26-year-old who grew up with no father. I have issues with identifying my feelings. I'm slow to process, and I only really know what I felt two to three weeks later. Recently, I broke up with my first girlfriend. It was hard. I don't know what to do or feel. She's back in my life. We are not together. I feel a responsibility for her emotions. I don't know what to do. All right. Uh, wow. As usual, you need to be flushing out all your feelings. What should you do? I, I want to just take the part where you started, and it's this. I'm 26, I had no father. I have issues with identifying my feelings. I'm slow to process and I only really know what I felt two to three weeks later. That's a victory in and of itself. Because I believe we had someone earlier on the show today or it was on the last uh, episode that we did who said, you know, I have no memories. I have no feelings, none. How do I deal with that? And we address that on the show, but you're saying two to three weeks later, I have the feeling where I'm able to identify what I felt good. Two to three weeks is a fucking victory, man. It may not feel like it, but in that moment, two to three weeks later or two days or two months later, write it down, put it in words, save it, hold it. Allow yourself to feel it in that minute. Give it words. And the more you do that, two to three weeks later, the more you'll start doing it two and a half weeks later. The more you'll start doing it one and a half weeks later. The more you allow those feelings and note them, and give them life and give them room for expression, the more they will come and they will come sooner. And you'll be able to identify them and give them words, but you have to keep flushing out. And regarding an ex and feeling responsible, there's something in there. There's some fear, fear that you're a bad person if you don't take responsibility for her, fear that uh, she won't like you, fear she'll be mad at you. If you don't want her in your life, you have every right to walk away from it. I am actually gonna take one more. Uh, that one threw me for a little bit of a loop. It was a good question though, dude. Seriously, there's just so much. I just couldn't unpack all of it. Here we go. Well, this is, you know what? This is a follow-up on really the a very similar thing. How do I get over that ex that loves me but uh, doesn't want to raise my kid? Um, you just flush out all your feelings of love. And I know I say just like that's, you know, some no big deal. And it really doesn't, you got to stay in it is really what it is. And once you have the willingness to stay in that, feeling rejected, feeling unwanted, that you still feel love. Get over implies you still have love. So keep flushing it out, not necessarily towards the person. Write the person letters how angry you are that they didn't want to raise your kids, how much you love them, how disappointed you are in them. You maybe even feel betrayed, flushing, flushing, flushing. The more you hold on to and don't let go, the more you hold on and hold on and hold on, eventually you get tired of holding on and you will let go. And I'm gonna take one more question. It's right here. How to avoid negative thoughts? Don't. For the most part, there are times when you just got to sort of put on your shit shield, put on your armor and just power through. There are those times, all right, when you're going into a meeting or, you know, I was up in the tree uh, when my son was in town, we were up in this giant pine tree that uh, is on my property and I had to start pulling down Christmas lights because the last few years I've put them up and then the fucking squirrels, they go up there, you know, the plug in on the end of the cord, the squirrels think it's a fucking acorn or something. They chew off all of them. So every year, I'll put, almost every year, I'll put up new lights and they'll get chewed. And the next year, I'll have to restring it. So I'm 60 feet in the fucking air, no lie. Anyway, I'm up there and uh, my girlfriend comes out of the house and she says, Sven, you be careful up there. I worry about you. Did you put, you know, do you have the ropes and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, honey, I've told you before, if you have concerns or think it's a bad idea, you do that when I'm on the ground, all right? You don't put doubt in my head when I'm up in the tree. She said, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's okay. And my son started laughing. Um, and you know, those two are sort of kidding each other over that. The point is this, there are some times when we gotta just stay focused and not allow the negative thoughts, I get that. But the truth is the healing is in allowing those negative thoughts. 
when you have time, when you have energy, when you have focus, when you have space, is to go into those negative thoughts and allow them to come out. God, I'm, I suck so bad at this. And I'm, you know, oh, I'm so mad at myself for not finishing that one deal. Let those thoughts out and flush them out, man. Write them out, write them out, journal them out on your computer. Flush, 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 flush. That's what we do with the negative feelings of love. That's what we do with the negative feelings of self-loathing. That's what we do with all the longing. That's what we do with, gee, why can't I get motivated? It's the flushing, the flushing, the flushing, keep flushing. The positive just rises up effortlessly. The more you flush out the pain, the mad, the sad, the happy, the glad, flush out everything. And peace will come over your soul, I promise you. Because that's how it works. I've counseled literally hundreds of people over the last uh, 30 years who have lost children. And the ones that are finally ready to go into the pain and flush and flush and flush do find peace. Doesn't mean they love their child less. And that's a whole part of the issue process we have to go through with them. I have to go through with them. But it, what that means is there's hope for all of us that if you can heal and find peace and even happiness after the death of a child, then there's pretty much no situation in life where peace and happiness and calm in your soul is impossible. So with all of that being said, you find people. I'm going to bid you adieu. It has been a lovely session uh, to everyone out there, especially those in faraway places. Maybe you feel alone. I hope that we've been a source of comfort, maybe, and a, definitely a bit of challenge to help you to sort of work on yourself and get out the raw sewage, to chip away that which is not David, to shed the shells of that acorn, to lose a branch or two that isn't serving you of the oak that is you. On behalf of KC in the booth, on behalf of Rob the Rocket, Rob the Rocket, Yo, any closing thoughts today? You just wrapped it up really well. It was a great job of chipping away the superfluous material, I must say. He said it so well. He speaks like it was Michelangelo himself. You are Michelangelo. Yeah, okay. All right. So find people on behalf of my production team, on behalf of Carly, the studio cat. Let me wish you all a wonderful, wonderful week and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.